Hello, racing world, and welcome to The Chrono Show. The Chrono Show is an endurance industry podcast for event producers, race directors, timers, and a variety of industry insiders. The show focuses on the history of this unique industry, the individuals that created it, the current state of affairs, and where it all goes from here. The show is hosted by Mike Malisi from Chrono Track, that's me by the way, with guests from all across the industry and a few from outside it too. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Chrono Show. Five, four, three, two, one. We are Well, hello, Racing World. Thanks for joining the show. Today's guest is the one and only Amy Frostick from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Amy is a runner, a triathlete, a race director, and co-business owner of JNA Racing. Amy operates a number of races in the region and in her home state across a variety of different event types that we're hoping to unpack a little bit today. Amy is also the winner of the Women's Leadership Award of the Year from Running USA. Hi, Amy. Thanks for joining Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. So I think we need to get this out of the way first. Full disclosure, I'm a little bit biased. We know each other very well. I, I think we've known each other for 14 years is my my best guess. Um, I've run most of your races and I've been on your race committee for the past, uh, I think, 11 years is, is, uh, is what I'm coming up with. So I know you guys pretty well. I'm a big fan. I'm always rooting for you. Um, but that's also given me a lot of exposure to kind of how you how you guys do things, your formula, your methods, your your secret sauce. And I was really hoping today that uh, you might be able to to share as much of that as you're willing to. I'm ready. So you've seen the good and the bad of Amy Frostick. So here we go. Well, most mostly good. When I think of the bad, I think that like the coldest I've ever been in my entire life was probably at Shamrock in the middle of a rainstorm with the wind blowing 35 knots. That's that's the only things that stick out to me as not even bad, but um, less than desirable. So most mostly good stuff that we'll get into here. That was an interesting year for sure. It was. That was my first year, actually. That was the story. I tell the story all the time where one of my favorite just bizarre racing moments was watching race director Jerry Frostick uh, yell at the weatherman on the phone that he needed to do something about the wind because it was going to ruin the race. At about 3.30 in the morning, in the lobby of the uh, Hilton Hotel at 31st Street in Virginia Beach. And I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting weekend. And it was. <laughs> yep. And a long time ago. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> before we get into the races, I, I, I really want to, like I said, kind of get into the the formula, the secret sauce for, for how you've built your races over time. It's a really interesting journey that I think you and Jerry um, had together in, in building that portfolio of events. I thought maybe instead of starting with the events, I think of every area where they have uh, races produced, everybody has kind of their own ingredients that make those races unique, whether it's the community, the weather, the natural geography, um, things like that. And I wonder, could you could you give us kind of a description for those people that don't know you or don't know the greater Tidewater, Virginia Beach area? What's What's your region like? What's your turf like? And then we'll get into the actual events. Sure. So we are um, considered... There's several names to our area. It's Coastal Virginia or Tidewater or Hampton Roads. There's several names, and we're still trying to figure out what name to use for our area. Also, the 757 is mm-hmm. another one, which is our um, area code. But uh, so our area, we're, we're, it's a beautiful area. We're right on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, we also sit at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay. 
So one thing that we are limited in is we do have that one, we can only run in one direction. We can't ever go east. <laughs> We're always having to go west, north, or south. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes um, that hurts us with courses because they tend to be um, a little bit limited. Uh, but we have been um, able to find some great courses with those in, within those limitations. The And then we have the boardwalk, which is amazing. It's about two and a half miles of cement boardwalk that um, the three Virginia Beach races all touch on. Um, Shamrock and Wicked both finish on the boardwalk, but um, it's just a beautiful, um, small but large area. We also are home to the largest Navy base in um, the United States, so um, it's a pretty unique, great coastal area. It is. It's you. So on top of that, you have um, you have a lot of tourism in the area, right? So you have kind of a rural, very water-based nature region and kind of the northern end of Virginia Beach. You're surrounded by military bases. Interestingly, there's a, there's a couple around there. The ocean to the east. You have a large convention center, right, that I think you guys tap into um, pretty frequently. Military town, as you said. Beach town, of course. Um, well, the weather is interesting for you guys, I, I think. Any any comments on kind of the, the nature of the weather and how that impacts your racing schedule? Well, I think with the weather and also with the tourism um, and the economics of Virginia Beach and the demographics, we, the city of Virginia Beach um, and the city of Norfolk, they like our races anytime but in the summertime. Because in the summertime, all of our hotels are packed. They do not need the tourism in the wintertime, in the summertime, sorry. So anything between September and May is open for us for racing. But you have to find that sweet pocket of weather, like you said. Um, March, which we begin our season with, with Shamrock, um, it can be cold, it can be windy, it can be warm. I think the we haven't had it yet, as as Jerry and I have been race directors for 20, almost 20 years. We have not had the super warm day, but right before we took it over, there was an 83-degree high day, which we haven't had that yet. But um the majority of it has been cold and windy, um, which is great in one direction, um, not great in another direction for <laughs> <laughs> But the um, prevailing wind is a north wind, so coming from the north. So I like to say it pushes the runners back along the boardwalk for their finish, mm -hmm. which is good. And the wind, the wind can be a, a inconvenience for some, but it's also I, th I think part of the reason why people seek out, particularly Shamrock, strikes me because the, the between the temperature. And the wind, and the fact that it's a, a relatively flat and fast course, I think you actually draw quite a few people who specifically want to race in windy conditions, get practice doing that, training for whatever else they might be training for on their their calendar for the year. Is that is that true? Is that a fair assumption? I agree. Yes. Um, you know, we don't we're not hilly at all. Um, we don't have any. We have one small bridge repeat that they have yep. to do in the marathon, but um, other than that, it's a fairly flat course which does tend to be fast. Um, so even before we own Shamrock, I have my PR in the marathon course. So it, mm -hmm. it was a fast day. Mine too, but it's my only marathon. So it's my PR as well as my worst performance of, of all time. Hey, um, and then how about, how, yeah, I do. And mm -hmm. then how about the local municipality is Virginia beach or the greater Virginia beach tidewater area. Is it, is it, would you consider it friendly to racing 
in general? Are there lots of other races um, or is it the municipality that tends to kind of push races away as much as possible because they have things like tourism and other sources of revenue for the community? I think Virginia Beach can be um, a little picky about who they choose to come into the area for racing. So I think that's a, a, a good problem, I guess, for them is that um, you have to be a pretty reputable company to shut down the roads like we do. Um, Rock and Roll has a race here in September. Um, so they are, other than that, there aren't any really large producers in the Virginia Beach area. Um, so they do kind of stick to um, people that have good reputations. So, um, of course, there's, you know, your 5K charity runs on the boardwalk up and back on the boardwalk almost every weekend, but they're not closing any roads. So yeah. um, they're they're pretty particular about who they bring into the city. Yeah. Okay. So I asked that because I'm always, it's a little cliche, but I'm always, um, or a little cheesy maybe, I'm always interested in kind of the ingredients that allow a race to be good. And then the the recipe, if you will, how the race director assembles their team, their company structure, um, how they facilitate the races that really make them great. I, I feel like those two things are the one plus one equals a really successful race uh, if you do it right. So I would say what most people love about racing to a destination race in particular is they want to run by water or mountains. They want, you know, pretty good or relatively predictable weather, cool ish weather in particular. They like architecture, bridges, big buildings, old neighborhoods, things like that. Um, and they want a good party. And so I think for, for you, based on what you said, you guys had the, the foundation just based on that geography that it's possible to make a big successful race portfolio happen there. Let's get into um, how you got into the the business first. I'm curious to to have you give your story on how you guys started together. And then I'd love to dive into the actual portfolio itself because it's a unique portfolio of events. Sure. So we've kind of fell into the race. Um, Shamrock was 30 years old when we took it over. And the race directors, Lori and Jerry Bokri, they started the race in 1973. Um they had, when we took it over, there was an 8K and a marathon and they were tired and wanted to retire, which I can completely understand after 20 years, I'm, <laughs> I get it. Um, so we, um, they came to Jerry and I, we at the time owned a triathlon running store and they asked us if we wanted to take over the race. Of course, we always had training groups for it. We had parties for it. So we were, you know, huge fans of the race anyway. Um, and we, said, sure, how hard can that be? So we um, took it over um, while operating the uh, triathlon store and um, kind of ran with it literally. And um, after a while, realized we couldn't run it out of our house because that's what we were. I was basically running that and trying to handle the triathlon store. And it was back to when um, registration wasn't even online. <laughs> we got tons mm -hmm. of applications that were mailed to the house and we had to enter the applications into the system. It was so tedious. Um, so we uh, ended up getting a building and warehouse and, and growing it. And we learned so much along the way, but it was, it was interesting. It was, and it was a call that I received at 2 AM. Um, Cause of course I used my cell phone as the number to contact us and it was a call at 2 a.m. that we received from a, an elite athlete from Kenya that came in that finally decided, hey, maybe we need an office and a dedicated phone line because he was calling to talk 
about elites and how mm-hmm. to get over here for the race. So it was interesting. <laughs> like it's time. Uh, so yeah, so we've, uh, you know, through that, we, um, again, it was a shamrock. It was the marathon, the 8k it was all run on a Saturday when we took it over. And then there was a large party, um, afterwards that evening, always St. Patty's day theme. So fun, fun weekend. And through the years, Jerry and I added a half marathon. Um, it became a two day experience. We added a final mile for kids. Um, so it, it, we added challenges. So there's an eight, a dolphin challenge, which is 8K and a half marathon, and a whale challenge, which is the marathon and 8K. Um, so yeah, it just grew through the years. And you know, when we took it over, there are 3,500 people. Um, and our largest year to date was 28,000. Mm-hmm. So um, we've grown it quite a bit and enjoyed the ride. What do you What do you credit for the the growth? We'll get more into this also, but. Do you, do you, do you pin that growth on a particular thing or set of things that enabled it to compound growth like that? Well, um, I love marketing that I have an MBA and the focus of it was in marketing and I really, um, enjoyed it. I think also Jerry and I both have such a passion for running that I think that helps a lot. Um, and you know, it was just the two of us from the start with this race and we went and we pounded the pavement. We went, I remember being at the army 10 miler expo and we had just this little 10 by 10 booth and we were working it and we had this little sign that says sign up for a free pair of brook shoes. Cause at the time we owned a retail store um, just to get people's email addresses. It was, you know, we were just trying to create a database and um, marketing it that way. And we just kept on hitting the streets. I think, you know, going to the expos and um, doing some creative marketing um, it, and just having a passion for it, it, it just started to grow and it continued to do so. Jerry, Jerry did some coaching and I think still does some coaching as well. Right. So that's probably part of the community connection. Yes. Yeah. And the retail store at one point, I know you guys don't have that anymore, but retail store. And then also, I, I don't know, I'm curious to know how relevant you think this is, but along shore drive in Virginia beach, you guys just have a very, literally your location, the facility that you guys work out of. First of all, it's beautiful. It's in an amazing location. And then it's just, it's so, you guys, it it feels very endemic to the community. It just feels, everybody's always running past it, running in and out. I think you guys get a hundred visitors a day that aren't necessarily invited that show up to say hi to you guys and and chat for a couple minutes. Would you say that being just so endemically part of the local running community has been a focus of yours or did that just kind of organically happen over time? No, I think it, um, well, maybe, uh, I think it's probably a little bit of both, you know, we, um, outside of our office, which I could laugh about this now, but we used to have a Gatorade cooler, no, a noon cooler and, um, a water cooler out for runners who were out, you know, in the community that they could come have some water, but, now, because of the COVID, we can't do that anymore. So we had to take that down. But um, we always put great signs out front to try to motivate people um, to run. I think right now it says it's the most wonderful time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of traffic on shore drive. So we get a lot of play from people going by the office. And we hear from people all the time, you know, and it's um, even from a Bruce Thompson who owns our large Hilton and Cavalier hotels, you know, says, I look forward to 
go, driving by your office each week and seeing what the new sign says outside. So um, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I know exactly what he means. My personal favorite was um, runner's high is legal in all 50 states. I thought that was so funny. I wasn't even going to see you guys that day. I was just driving by and happened to see that one. I thought, oh, they got me again. They caught my attention and made me chuckle. Another yep. DNA victory. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'd like to hear about the event portfolio because you have what I would say is unique about your portfolio is you have a, a huge variety of distances that you cover throughout your events, different times of year, wildly different weather. Um, and they all have, I would say they all have consistent threads that make them feel like a JNA race, but each one is, is also somehow completely different. So I'd, I'd love if you could just give a brief description of what, what are the events that make up your portfolio? And then I have a couple questions for you about, about the nature of them. Sure. Um, so each of our events have kind of a theme. I like to market themes and people like to dress up for races. So I think the themes have worked out really well with us. Um, we have a Halloween race. We have a race that's in Hampton, Virginia, which is known for um, blue crabs. So it's the crawling crab race. We have a surf and Santa race, which is this weekend. Um, we have Norfolk Harbor, which is in Norfolk, Virginia, kind of on the harbor, harbor um, in November timeframe. Shamrock, of course, is in Virginia Beach in March, which I guess St. Patty's Day and Virginia Beach have nothing to do with each other, but it's another good theme. Yeah, um, the beach, the beach goes green. Yeah, we have um, the Big Blue 5K, which is an ODU, um, Old Dominion University race that ends on their 50-yard line of their football field. And then we have a corporate race. So all um, very different, which sometimes can be a challenge marketing as well, because they are so different that it's hard to market all that at one time. Um, but like you said, they all have a special JNA feel. And I think that's um, what we hear from people is, you know, we want a JNA race. We want a JNA race. Um, you know, something that has the post-race party and the fun factor. Um, but again, we take it seriously. The mile markers are right. The water's out there. Everything that has to come with the production of the race is always accurate and and they know they can rely on that. Yeah. Are, are those the things that you would define as saying this is what makes makes a JNA race a JNA race that it's serious, it's it's high caliber for all the elites, really competitive field, but there's plenty of silly fun stuff for everybody else as well followed by a great party or are there other things that you would layer in there that you consider the the, the JNA style that make it feel like JNA? Well, I think it has, I think like you said, it has something for everything, everyone. Um, I think if you want to come and run fast, we're going to have that course there for you. And we're going to have the mile markers out there. And we're going to have um, everything you need to PR for a race. But if you want to um, stop and at every water stop and high five all the volunteers and listen to music and enjoy the bands along the route, you can do that too. Um, I think Shamrock one of our really good friends um, said he PR'd his beer drinking on the Shamrock course at one time because <laughs> there's so many people spectators out there with beer offering beer. Um, and he's like he PR'd his beer drinking during the race, so um, the amount of beers he had on the race. So we're, yeah, so we were everything from serious to the fun runner to the walkers. Um, you know, we have to take them serious as well because they're out there for the longest period of time. So that water has to be out there and ready for them too. Yeah. 
there's plenty of hardcore elites at those at those start lines. I'm I'm there with them for most of your uh, or not running with them. I'm there looking at them for most of your races. But one of the things that always sticks out to me is there's an image that I remember. It's probably a couple years old now, but it was um, I think it was a young lady who was at the tail end, a walker, and one of your staff is walking next to her with his arm around her, you know, giving her some encouragement. And I, I remember that day she was having a hard time. And uh, he was talking her through it. And I just thought he, he didn't do that for attention. There was nobody else around. Somebody just happened to snap a picture of it, I think. And I just thought, oh, what a, what a special thing that they care as much about literally the last person as the, you know, the 20,000 that came before them. I thought that was really special and very reflective of the, the JNA style. And I think that's what does some of the stuff that does set us apart from other races. And I think um, you can attest to that too, because you do the same thing out at the start lines with the runners, high-fiving them and um, joking with them and making them feel comfortable before they even get started. So I, yeah. um, we have a great volunteer committee that comes out and, and helps us and is by our side. And um, we trust all of them with the decisions that they make because they're, they're so good. And like that person that put his arm around the last person and kind of encouraged them to come on, we can do this. And yeah. they finished. Yeah. Yeah. You also have a lot of competitions within the race, which I always find really interesting about JNA events. So uh, if it's wicked, which is also a, you know, flat and fast race, but is also just so stinking fun. It's just the, it's just such a fun, silly, surreal party sometimes, but you have, you know, costume competitions with different divisions and stuff like that for that. Um, surf and Santa, I think you guys had a Guinness world record a couple years ago. All my timelines are blurring together. I feel like that was three or four years ago, maybe even longer. Yeah, it was three years ago and it was, um, it was so great. So we, um, uh, you know, I kept on saying to Jerry, listen, we have got to go after this Guinness book of world war world records and make everybody dress in a Santa suit. He's like, no, there's no way we're going to get people to do this. I'm like, yes, we've got to do it. So we were able to outsource some surf and Santa or some five piece Santa suits, um, found out where the record was before, which was in um, Ireland. It was either England or Ireland. And they, uh, it was like 4,262 people that they had had finished the race in a five piece Santa suit. Um, yeah. So we took it serious. We were, were like, we're going to beat this. And we had 5,200 people register for the race. And we had, 4,800 people finish in a five-piece Santa suit. And I think the funniest thing about that day, I mean, it was amazing that we got the record and, and we, you have to go through a lot to get a Guinness Book of World Record. I don't know that we'll ever do that again, but <laughs> um, we the best story about it is our title sponsor at the time was uh, the Great Outdoor Provision Company. And the owner's son was a pretty fast runner. He ran in college and he didn't wear a Santa suit. He wanted to go and, you know, I guess really fast runners want to not wear a Santa suit. They want to go out and see how fast they can run. So he said it was the first race that he got booed the whole entire route. <laughs> he said everybody booed him because he wasn't dressed in a Santa suit. So everybody was like, you know, oh, boo. He's like, that was amazing because he got booed the whole time instead of, you know, enjoying the Santa spirit and being in the five piece Santa suit. Yeah. I, I think it's part of your magic is the, the, the I haven't been to any JNA race where the, the vibe is I'm going to finish this and go home. You're, you're hanging around for something. It's usually the party, which is spectacular, 
but also there's those little sub events, like I said, competitions, costume stuff, extra bands, um, the Santa thing, the imagery that came with the Santa competition was amazing. That's there's always something to stick around for and wait and see what happens and wait and see who wins this or that. And it's, it, it's just a really unique aspect to your races that I think is that a common thread across all of them. I I'm not a marketer. I've never sold sponsorship. I, I don't really, I don't really understand those lines of, of business. Well, what, what does, what does that do for JNA races to have like length of stay? People want to stay longer. They want to, they want to congregate. They want to hang out with their friends. They genuinely want to be there. What, what does that, what does that do for the business? Um, well, I think for the people who stay and, you know, drink their amount of beers that they're allotted for the race and then have fun, um, and then leave, it's great. Um, we do have the same group of people though, that were saying, okay, it's time race is over. We've got to get out of here. We got to clean up. Um, especially for surf and Santa, it's a nighttime race and finishes inside a convention center. So we have limited time in the convention center that we need to get people out. So, um, I, you know, I think it's the party atmosphere and the time that we have in the post-race parties is, it's kind of magical. It's fun. Um, people have smiles on their faces. Um, they're high-fiving others. It's things that we can't wait to get back to. It's, we need to get back to that because it's just runners um, and the camaraderie between runners and, and finishing something that, you know, maybe some of them never thought they could finish um, enjoying a cold beer together and a celebration. It's uh, I think if a race doesn't have a put, every race needs to have a post-race party. Yeah. Well, and if they want to know how to do it, I think they should come observe a J and a race. You guys have that, have that nailed. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm reflecting right now about one last Santa thing, which is the, the year of the, the Guinness record. I don't know if you, I don't know if you were there. I, I was just outside the finish shoot, maybe a 10th of a mile outside the finish shoot in the parking lot of your convention center. And my job was to make sure that people had all five of the five garments on. So I had extra pants, extra belts, extra Santa hats, extra, it was a coat, right? And I forget what the fifth piece was, or maybe that was five. Beard, and, Did you say beard? and the beard. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And so it was me and a couple of my good buddies who are part of your race committee also. And we had an absolute ball working that because our job was to chase the athletes and, you know, it'd be, it'd be like a 55 year old lady. I'm going, ma'am, you don't have a beard on. You got to have a beard. You, you got, you must have the beard. Okay. Okay. I'll put the beard on, sir. Your pants fell off. We got to get you some new Santa pants. And uh, it was such a, it, like I said, it was such a JNA thing to be part of. And every one of those people was, was smiling ear to ear. It was a great day. Have you added that to your resume? I should. I think I'll put <laughs> put it put it right at the top. Santa pants, Santa pants enforcer. I guess. <laughs> so, all right. So back to the the race portfolio. <clears throat> you, we talked about how you're really you're limited in the um, time frames that you're allowed to host events per year because of the summer tourism season. I'm curious about the number of events that you have. Is is this with the size of your team and the size of the organization? Are you are you facilitating like the maximum number of events that you're able to as a team, or have you come up with a formula that says we, we want our events staggered and we want them at these different dis- distances because there's a, a science to it? You get the most people running in the most JNA 
races by having it sequenced the the way that you do. Is there is there science to that, or is it just you're just doing as many as you can? Um, no, I think it's I think the science is um, we don't um, we don't know how to put on small races. Um, and I think if any you talk to any race director, they know that it's just as hard to put on a 200 person race as it is a 5,000 person race. Mm-hmm. You're doing all the same things. You're setting up a start line, you're putting out mile markers, you're setting out water, you're getting volunteers. So um, for us, we operate in large numbers. And unless we see the opportunity to have a large race, um, which our smallest races are ODU 5K and that's 2,500 people. And that's all we can fit for that race. Um, so. Um, the seven that we have right now are what we feel um, are the large is the largest that we can make them. We do have one um, that we were going to introduce in 2020, um, and it was going to be a Fourth of July theme- themed race, but um, we didn't introduce it this year. So we're hoping to add it next year. So it's will be our eighth race. Um, and again, a, an opportunity for a large amount of people um, and a fun theme. Again, see, I'm into the theme holiday races yeah. where people can dress up in jorts or whatever they want to. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think that I answered the question, but I think it's where we are and what we can handle. You know, our staff is a little bit short, uh, smaller right now. So, um, we'll be building up for 2021 because I think we're going to come back stronger in the fall. So we're, yeah. we're gonna, we, we have to be ready for it. Well, I'm curious. I, I, I do want to get into marketing because um, I need your expertise to, to teach me some stuff there. But regarding 2021, I'm curious. Yeah, I know there's some changes for Shamrock, the way that Shamrock is going to be facilitated in the spring of 21. And then you have a new event um, this coming January, the trail race, 50K trail race, which is a totally unique format. Um, that I'm interested in in learning about as well. And the the context for the question, especially about Shamrock, is it, I think you you guys were right on the front end of the real breakout panic part of the pandemic. So I, I don't recall what Shamrock's date was supposed to be for 2020, but I don't even think anything had officially been locked down. That that came within a few days of you guys being forced or or deciding that you had to eliminate the race for the 2020 season, then I'm really interested in that 2021 um, revised version of Shamrock because there's a lot of people looking for anything they can find to how to facilitate their their race. And it seems like you guys found something that's a a fit that you're going to try for this coming spring. Yeah. So um, it was Friday the 13th was the day that um, March 13th was the day that our governor put our state in a state of emergency and um, we had to make a decision quick on what we were doing with Shamrock 2020, and that was um, scheduled for March 20th. So we had one week, um, but they had already constructed our big finish line tent. Our porta potties were already out there. It's yeah. a big event, so it was planning um, for quite a few people. Our numbers were way ahead of uh, 2019. So um, yeah, it was going to be a rocking year. Um, and I guess we can still say that it's been a rocking year, but in a different way, <laughs> rocking. Um, so certainly didn't think we'd be going through this again in 2021, but we are. Um, so we sent the message out. We had 
quite a few people defer from 20 to 21. And um, then we have people that have signed up for 21. We um, sent out the notice on Monday that we're um, changing. Well, it's we're giving a live experience. So it's not um, a mass start, ready, get, set, go. Um, Virginia is currently at a state where we can only have 250 participants in a rate running race. Um, so what we are doing is we're setting out our timing mats at the start where the typical share mark start is. Um, it is also where the finish is. So we'll have a start finish at the same spot. And we have come up with a 13.1 mile course, a 26.2 mile course and an 8K course. Um, that start and finish from that area. We're going to offer from Friday until Sunday, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Anytime during that period, people can go out and run their Shamrock race at any time they want to. Um, and it will be timed. Um, we'll have course support out there. So we'll have water stops. Well, it'll be water refilling stations. Um, uh, and different types of activations out on these courses. Um, they are not closed courses, so they're not closed to automobiles, but they go, th it, part of the course is going to go through our beautiful um, state park, which is First Landing State Park, which is, um, of course, there won't be any traffic in there, and it's beautiful to run through. Um, so uh, we'll have a packet pickup that will be live and down by the race start. Our staff will be out there the whole time. Um, so we're trying to create, everybody wants a live experience. That's all we're hearing. Is it a Boston qualifier? You know, what they want to be out there and run something live. They need goals. Um, so we're going to create a live experience. It's not a Boston qualifier. It's not a certified USATF certified course, but it is a 26.2 or 13.1 mile course. Mm -hmm. um, I am very surprised since Monday how many people we've had actually sign up for the race. <laughs> so it, um, you know, we're still offering all the other things. If you want to, you know, next year is our 50th annual for Shamrock. So um, people do have the opportunity to uh, defer to 2022 for free. There's a refund option. There's um, run virtually in Nebraska if you can't make it to Shamrock um, weekend. So we have several options out there. We're, we're trying to cover it all for people, but most importantly, we're trying to give that live experience, which Virginia Beach wants as well. They need that tourism. Um, they're ready for people to come and stay in their hotels and um, spend money at our restaurants. Um, it's safe. It's safe at hotels. Um, so um, we're trying to create that experience. And we've had some great, um, great feedback on it. And people are excited. Yeah, I, I think they are excited. We had... Um... We had a conversation yesterday with uh, Ben Sigel, who's one of our timers and race directors in Kansas, actually. And his local market, he's actually been able to host some of his races throughout 2020. S smaller audience than usual, um, of course, but he's been able to keep to keep going. He's been able to host races from July through basically through now. Um, and one of the stories he was telling, but I hope um, makes you feel good, is for most of that time, they offered a virtual experience in addition to the live experience and they had no idea what would happen. And roughly three quarters of the people that were given that option chose to go live. They they came to run. They rode buses to the start. They wore masks at the start. Um, they either they had water on some of the courses or they did a water monster or things like that. But the, the people did show up. And that was July through 
November of 2020, you know, when things are, when everything's peaking and everybody's in the height of, height of lockdown. And I, I had no idea how he was going to answer that question. What, what portion of people go live versus go virtual when they have the option? Cause that really hasn't happened much yet. And, uh, it just, it just made me feel fantastic. Gave me a lot of hope that three quarters of them went, went live when that option was presented. Yeah, that is great. We have our surf and Santa race, like I told you was is this weekend and we're doing the same thing where, um, the big draw for that is to run through our boardwalk lights. Um, mm-hmm. It's usually closed to any type of pedestrians. You can only drive th- on the boardwalk through the lights. And um, we have the lights through six at t- through 6.30 p.m. So we are giving participants the option. As long as you have a bib, you can run on that boardwalk during that time frame anytime on Saturday. So, um, and it's amazing how many people want to do that. So it, yeah. it, they're ready for it. It's Yeah, well, they're, they're, beloved, by the, they're beloved by the local community, which... Mm-hmm is a wonderful transition into into some marketing stuff. So I'm curious to know how you built, I I would call it your tribe of JNA fans, JNA loyalists, people that love, like you said, they want the JNA experience. I'm curious to know how that was built over time. And I'm particularly curious to know through marketing, how do you, how do you continue to reinforce that? What, what keeps people's attention drawn to JNA and wants uh, and keeps them wanting to come back for, for more? Right. Well, I think marketing's changed over the 20 years for sure since we've been in the business. And, um, but I think one thing that's always stays with me when we first got involved, we have a great sports marketing department in Virginia Beach. And um, one of my mentors in that department had told me, you need to, to hit people three times. People need to see your event three times to get that new business. And that's something that we really focused on when we started um, up and running. So, you know, it was brochures at an expo. It was Runner's World magazine. It was um, something on social or, you know, we, we tried to get people three times so they could say, oh, yeah, I remember that one. I'm going to sign up for that. So I think that was our initial um approach to trying to get new runners you know of course that's changing now where it's becoming more digital and um social driven but um once we got our tribe and they could experience a jna race um that's all we needed to kind of spread the word and and the love of our races and the fun that you can have and the experience i think that's probably the biggest word to describe a JNA event is it's an experience from start to finish. It's yeah. it's not about you know sometimes the time or, or what you're doing. It's the experience that not only the participant gets but their family members, their friends. Is it a girls' weekend? Is it a um, you know, so many proposals? You've seen so many proposals at our finish line. So um, it's an experience, and we try to create that experience for for every race that we do. Um, we also had a training team at one time, which was a JNA racing training team that built a huge tribe in Hampton Roads and yep. coastal Virginia. Um, that they, they we we could not manage that anymore, so somebody else manages it. But they're still at every single race, so yep. um, we've got a great fan club that's out there. But you know, still even so, a lot of people we draw a lot of people from Pennsylvania, from New Jersey, um, DC, Richmond. It's just um, North Carolina, those are some of our largest areas we draw from. 
Yeah, I, I was going to ask about training team and then also just your ambassador program. You have quite a large ambassador following as well. I'd, I'd love to know how the ambassador side of things is is structured. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you get for being a JNA ambassador. I'm embarrassed to say, um, and I'd love to know just kind of how how the ambassador program has impacted the the draw of athletes to the race. Right. So we have a great ambassador group. Um, the majority of them are local, but have a huge following um, locally. They get, you know, apparel basically, and then they work on a point system. So if they do a certain amount of things, they get, get points that they can use either to our JNA store or for a race entry um, into a race. Ent- a race. Um, so they're basically you know, they, they're answering a lot of questions on social for us. They're um, sharing things on social. They're um, recruiting people to run. Um, so it, it's, it's a good program. Um, and it, I, I think other than our, our ambassadors, then we have people like you in Richmond or um, my sister who lives in Delaware that is, you know, it's the family ambassadors and the good friends ambassadors that go along with it as well. Yeah. The word yeah. of mouth. Yeah. You definitely have an army of loyalists out there that are in, in their own way. Everybody's drawn people to, to JNA, uh, JNA races because they love them so much. Do you ever, do you ever stop marketing for your events? Meaning is the calendar and the sequence for when you do ad, ads and different promotions for whatever race, let's say Shamrock. Do you ever stop marketing Shamrock? Like, do you have a formula that's, you go heavy in a certain number of months, three months out, you do this one month out, you do that. Is there, is there a formula, a secret sauce that, that you find works or do you just never stop promoting? Uh, we never stop. Um, or we always have something to market, but for Shamrock, it is, it tends to be a year round because we open a registration that the weekend of Shamrock. So 2022 will be open 2021 weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but our heavy marketing, my formula is usually six months for a marathon, uh, three months for a half marathon, and a 5K can be what, what, two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it depends. Like for our Surf and Santa race, I can't promote that before Halloween. Yep. People don't really want to see that. So yep. it's more it's heavier in November for that race. Um, so it kind of depends upon the season and what and what we're marketing, but. I think a uh, sweet, sweet spot for a marathon and half marathon is six months. And then what about the suite of tools that you're actually using? Facebook, print, um, tile ads. What, what's what's your, your sweet spot on the actual materials being used? Right. Well, I think social changes so, so much. And, you know, as much as everybody says they don't enjoy Facebook, it still does really well for us. Um you know, I think our demographics for the runner is, you know, that 39-year-old female, and they're on Facebook, um, Instagram. Um, we do some Twitter. We have um, uh, Snapchat, TikTok. We have all the yeah, different all things. The, all the social tools, but Facebook is the primary? Yeah, Facebook and Instagram are, are primaries, yes. And then do you, do you have separate campaigns that you target towards different age or gender demographics or groups versus individuals, local versus regional versus national? There's, how, how does all that function within JNA? Um, 
yeah, so we do some A-B testing for some of that, um, especially for like our Halloween race or um, anything that's heavy female, especially that tends to be the demographics. Um, and then, I, you know, I didn't mention email marketing. Yep. We have a huge database now of close to 200,000. So um, we segment that a lot. Um, we're doing an ad right now that's a, just kind of a winter challenge um, visit Virginia Beach in the winter time um, that we're kind of running alongside with the city of Virginia Beach, and that's going to it's not going to Virginia Beach people. It's going to um, out of the Virginia Beach area. So email is another huge marketing tool that we use. We don't want to ever over email people. Um, we don't like to see people unsubscribe from our lists, but um, we do segment that email list quite a bit. Can can you um can you expand on the over emailing thing? Do, do you have a do you have an abandoned rate or an unsubscribe rate that you say, okay, that wasn't the right one. We got too many unsubscribes. Is there a, a threshold that you consider good, bad? Um, I think any unsubscribes is bad, <laughs> but um, you know, I think anything more than a hundred is usually bad for us. We don't, um, we need purpose for our emails now. So we, we don't send emails just to send an email and um, we won't do that. We won't do that for a sponsor. We've never done that for a sponsor or anyone. It has to have some good meat to it in order for, or some type of great message to do it. Um, you know, I think Jerry even spoke today. Let's do a thank you for sticking with us. 2020 email and everybody shot him down because it, it everybody's doing that right now. Um, and do we really need to do something like that or can we do it in another way or another message? So, um, that's interesting. Okay. So you, so you do not stick, you do not have a, at least once a week, we got to get one thing out in email or, or never do more than once a week. Or there's, there's no specific, um, cadence to it that you follow. You, you, you keep your focus on, if I have something meaningful to say, that's when we will say it. Right. Yeah. I think, yes. We have a great marketing team, um, and I think that's something that we definitely need to touch on because I, we have uh, a lot of races that I know they contract out marketing, um, every part of it, and our staff right now is basically our marketing team. So we have somebody that just handles all of the social – we have somebody that handles um, websites and newsletters and press releases. We have somebody that uh, is – uh, kind of overhead, make sure the schedule stays. Uh, so she's kind of the VP of the marketing team. Then we have a graphic designer that does all of our graphics. So, and then a sponsorship director. So they're kind of all work together um, at JNA. And then I kind of chime in, well, I chime in a lot. But um, so our marketing team is basically JNA right now. We're, um, you know, we're out there trying to think of new ideas. What can we do within our, um, rec our, 250 limit right now. Um, yeah. And then how do we gear up for 2021, Paul? Yeah. Well, even, even pre COVID in, in normal times, you still had a huge, like proportional to the overall business. Marketing's always been a huge investment for you guys. I, I think you mentioned three or four full-time employees right there. Even when you were fully staffed up pre pre COVID, you still would have had that half, half the team basically would have been marketers. And so one could say, well, it's it's somewhat logical that they're really good at marketing because they're investing in marketing. And you have your own graphic design in house, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and then all of the, like we were joking about the um, 
wonderful time of the year, those little catchphrases and things like that. I, 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 I would struggle to try to quantify what that means. I just know that it does just the, the cause I don't know how to explain advertising. Actually, I've never heard anybody explain advertising well, but just the, the catchiness, the, the right mix of fun and humor and seriousness of the race. It, it, you're the way that you guys market always seem to balance all of those things. The race never feels like a joke, but it always feels fun, but it always feels serious at the same time. How, how do you, what is the process that you go through? Even if it's the wonderful time of the year thing, how do you come up with all of those different catchphrases and expressions and find that balance of, yes, this works. That sounds like a JNA advertisement or tagline. How, how do you actually do that? Who comes up with it? How do you vote on it or whatever happens internally? I think probably a lot of it comes up from my crazy mind on runs or, um, I, I never stop. I never stop thinking about it or, um, it, it's never turned off in my house cause I'm married to my co the co-owner of JNA racing, Jerry Frostick. So, um, for us, it's hard for us to ever turn off anything um, JNA because we love it and um, it's what we wake up to in the morning. It's what we go to bed, unfortunately, at nighttime talking about. And that's, but it's it's a good and a bad. It's something we have in common. We love it, um, and it's our baby. I mean, it's it's kind of what we do. So, um, you know, they come up at different time. It different things spur us, and and what is the thing that is new. And, um, I think my staff is, is, has, is ready for me to come in with a crazy idea on a Monday or, um, call them with a crazy idea or text them with a crazy idea. Cause that's, that's how it all comes about. So that, so that's all in house. You don't have an agency that's out there dreaming up catchy, uh, advertisements for JNA that you're, you're outsourcing. That's all in house. That's all in house. Wow. We have a brainstorm. We'll have a brainstorm here shortly for 2021 it will be what will the, be the branding of all the races and the themes for all the races um so that's we do it all in house how, how important are as a marketer <clears throat> how important are things like brand guidelines color schemes your your different fonts and types of imagery and just kind of that consistent look and feel how relevant is that in the grand scheme of things for how you market the race? Does it just keep things consistent or does it meaning easier to administer if you stick within guidelines or do you feel like it, it draws people towards you because of the familiarity of things that quote unquote feel like J and a. Um, well, I, I think if you look, you could probably go through the different races out there and know who ha who sticks to the guidelines and who doesn't for branding. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we have a strict brand um, for each of our races and colors and font, everything is packaged together. Mm -hmm. And that is what we use going across the board for the year. So um, that's very important. I think it needs to look good. I think um, if you look at our social and what Chelsea does, um, who is our employee that handles her social, it looks good. I mean, she's great. And, you know, her background is she's a graphic designer as well, but she also does social. So I think that's been a great mix for her. Um, but then we have another graphic designer on staff. So it's, um, you have to stick within brand guidelines um, and 
and colors and schemes and come up with a plan um, for those races. So you just kind of dial it in over time, figure out what you feel like is the the most effective look and feel, and then you you do find value in staying within those those guidelines once you've established that. Yes. And then how and about a lot of tweaking? I think. I mean, especially the logos. We even tweaked some of our lo- we tweaked some of our logos last year, um, but they still look the same. I don't know that everybody would. I I would recognize it, but I don't know that other people would. Yeah. How about imagery, the selection of imagery to be used in your different, either the sites or your different promotions? Is there, if you, if you looked at a hundred different races, you'd see a, a lot of elite males, a lot of elite females, you'd see a lot of kids, you'd see, I don't know, the consistent things that you see across, across, let's say races in general. Do you find for JNA, there's a particular formula within that that fits? Well, it's crazy because, you know, we went through this this year, 2020, is we need to find that cover photo that doesn't have a lot of people around them um, to make it look like it's not a crowded race, Um, where in 2019, we wanted to make everything look really crowded and fun and, um, oh my goodness, look how many people are at that race. So um, I guess you have to kind of, that's the other thing great about having a marketing team with you and something that you could talk, we have weekly marketing meetings where we sit down, we had one today that lasted an hour and a half that we just sat down and talked about our ideas. And, um, but it, it, it's, you can move with the fly if you have a marketing team that's right here um, and with you instead of having to deal with somebody that's not on your team or that's a contractor. Yeah. Let's go back to Shamrock for a second. I, I meant to ask this. So Shamrock has an enormous kids race, actually multiple kids races that are part of that thousands and thousands of kids it's the loudest thing i've ever experienced at any race um is being on that uh on atlantic there with all the kids screaming at me waiting to start and doing their doing their cheers do you do you market my question is how do you market to the schools families how do you draw those kids into the the race because it's become an enormous part of shamrock weekend how how did it get there how did you grow that it was a it was a long process. Actually, the first year we only had one school that was involved, and um, we wanted to start this program. It was at the time um, childhood obesity was you know kind of one of those words that you heard way too many um, times. So um, I said you know let's start an elementary school aged race for. Um, and it make it a mile and it would be a final mile. So the thing is, is that they run 25.2 miles on their own prior to the race and then finish the mile um, at the, over the Shamrock weekend. So we call it the final mile. And we started piloting it with one school. Um, it went well. And then we just kept on adding the schools. We went to um, the meetings with all the teachers and the school board and um, the city of Virginia Beach just really embraced it. That's where the majority of the schools come from. It's a predominantly local race. It's not, we don't draw quite, not like our other races um, that weekend, Shamrock weekend, our majority out of the area, but the final mile is the majority Virginia Beach. Um, so we just, it just kept on growing. And um, it was became one of the things that if you don't participate in Shamrock, you're kind of a different elementary school. Why aren't you out there? So um, our superintendent is behind it um, in Virginia Beach, and um, he kind of pushed it. And it's just been 
a, a huge a huge asset I think to that race weekend is watching those kids and um, the laughter and the fun that they have um, completing that mile. Some that have never been to the Virginia Beach Oceanfront, which is amazing to me um, yeah. to experience that. Well, how long did it take for that for you to cross that threshold you mentioned a moment ago, where schools felt like they were missing something if they were not part of the final mile? How, how many years did that take before that that threshold was crossed? Um, I think we've been doing it about fourteen. So it, it was probably seven half seven years. Seven years of just kind of slugging it out, going school to school, trying to drum drum up their attention. And then do you still have to market it that way today? Or is it just so established at this point, they just, they just come on their own? It, it's to the point where it's established and they come on their own. You know, I think the teachers want it this year too. We're just trying to figure out how we can um, deliver that to kids that are now learning virtually and who knows what March is going to look for like for our children. I'm hoping that they're back in school. I know you are too. <laughs> um but, you know, we're even talking about maybe bringing the final mile to the schools, um, doing something for them because the kids need it. You know, looking at these screens all day long, it's not what your childhood's supposed to be like. So um, I'm hoping that we can somehow come up with a plan to make a difference in these kids' lives um, in March so they can have a goal. They need yeah. it. Yeah, that's great. Well, before we leave marketing, is there anything that I just failed to ask? Is there any is there anything special or unique that you found in the way you market your events that has led to your success that that you want to share with anybody who might listen? Um, I no, but I have a question for you about marketing. Sure. So you say you don't know what marketing or advertising is. Like what? Um, and I know it's a struggle. I think be, between some CEOs and um, is. Yeah, that's the first thing is let's cut marketing. What is your thought on on that? Like, do you think you re it requires marketing to be known as a company or? Oh, I think it absolutely does. I, I think the, the thing that <laughs> maybe I should have chosen my words different earlier. I came up in business through sales. I've always been a sales and account management person is the, the bulk of my career. And sales and marketing are kind of joined at the hip and never, never like each other. <laughs> they, they both think the other one doesn't get it, doesn't really know what they're talking about. And so when I say I don't quite get it, I, I wholeheartedly support um, the value of, of marketing and advertising. I just, it's not my thing. And so I, what I do is I surround myself with people that are excellent in that particular skill set. I depend on them to teach me about marketing, like uh, kind of like you're doing right now, um, and you you know you you hire you hire to uh, fill in the weaknesses that you have yourself. And marketing is definitely one of those for me. I've I've studied it a lot. I've read a lot of books about it. I've worked with really talented marketers in the past, and I love the way they can say, "Okay, well, this is why advertising matters." There's these there's these funny historical quotes about. Um, advertising in business. Somebody will say, half the money I spent on advertising was a complete waste, but I have no idea which half is kind of the common cliche that people say about, about marketing or, or advertising. So, so I, um, I believe it's critical to the business, to, to all businesses. I just recognize it's not my thing. I, I wouldn't write the code that we need for ChronoTrack and I wouldn't attempt to be our advertising exec either. Like the, that's not me. I have other skills that I can bring to the business. I need to find people that are excellent in those things. 
And part of the reason for my my questions is I find that most race directors I talk to, they desperately want to grow. Everybody wants to get more athletes and and be bigger. But I also find that a lot of race directors on the on the pure marketing front either don't necessarily don't know where to begin or that they fall into a lot of patterns that are very common in in racing where you might have a race that the what they consider marketing uh, might be, hey, register today, price increases tomorrow. And so I, I think it's a, a segment of the business that most people are just could could use help with, need more expertise in, or need somebody to turn to and say, hey, what what else could I be doing here? And I, I believe a big part of that is I think a lot of race directors are, they fall into a couple different buckets, I would say, but you have some that are really passionate about sponsorship. You have some that are really passionate about course operations, the, the race itself, the pure racing aspect of it and all the different operational things. And then you have some that are really focused on charitable giving and fundraising. And you have some that are really good at marketing. And that last bucket, I would say, is the the least of the four. What I think is really interesting about JNA, you've kind of demonstrated this uh, for the past 20 years, as you said, as you've been a race director, is it seems there, there seems to be a disproportionate number of partnerships that drive really successful businesses in this industry. And those partnerships, it's usually a team of two in, in general. It's either two spouses, two business partners, two best friends from college, two whatever. And almost a large proportion of the time, one of those two people is really good on experiential, really good on marketing, advertising, sponsorship. And one is really good at ops um, permits, course logistics, those types of things. I, I just think it's a fascinating nuance to this particular industry is that most people, I think, fall into one one of those buckets. Um, and most people cannot crisscross very easily across those buckets. So they have to find somebody to seek that expertise from. So long-winded answer, but that's that's what I meant with. It's just not my, it's not my thing. I love it. It's critical. It's not my skill set and I'm never going to be great at it. So I seek, I seek that expertise elsewhere. No, I think that's good. I think that's one thing that Jerry and I have as owners of JNA Racing is that he has that. He handles all that we call the outside stuff, and I handle all the inside stuff at JNA. So it's um, it's a great mix. And then um, if we want to not, you know, talk about our different areas and get advice from the other on, we can. Um, but like you said, like going through ops and listening to him talk about. You know, you turn here, but you can't put there because you got to put the cone here. I, I'm not. I'm like, stop talking. I don't want to listen to that anymore. <laughs> I don't. I don't care. That's your department. You handle that. I'll handle the marketing. But the same thing with some of my crazy marketing ideas. He doesn't want to hear that either. So it, I agree with you about it takes those that two skill the two skill sets of two completely different skill sets. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to find one person, one race director that has all of those skills. It's almost impossible. Very, very few. I'm, I'm an outside guy, by the way. So you just kind of proved my point is if Jerry was telling me, listen, I want the water spaced every 22 feet, definitely not every 21 feet. I'd be happy to talk with him about that for 10 minutes, about why 21 versus 22. We got to find the ideal number of feet between water pallets, blah, blah, blah. I could do that all day long, mm -hmm. but getting into a lot of the nuances of um, some of the campaigns and Google AdWords and some of that, some of that kind of stuff. It just doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me as something that I want to 
pour my attention towards. And so I say, okay, great. If it's working, good, go for it. And like I said, I, I rely on uh, on others to, to fill that gap for me. I had your attention a little bit there with registration at one point. but That's true. I was yeah. a little more biased towards registration in those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I lost data I didn't, outside. I didn't, I didn't really. I didn't really have a choice. Um, yeah. So let's let's. I have two two final things. First, what's the overall um, suite of technology that that you use and that you found works for you? I, you guys obviously use ChronoTrack for timing. I know that one. Um, but registration platforms, CRM, um, market different marketing tools. What what's what's the suite of tech that you use to execute the business? Right. Um, so we use Haku as our registration platform. Um, they also handle our CRM for us. So their um, email platform that they've built out for us is really um, very sophisticated. And um, we've really enjoyed growing with them. They're, um, it's, been, it's been a fun partnership with Haku. And then um, you're going to, I'm going to blank on all the stuff that uh, Chelsea uses for social, but we use Canva for a lot of our designs and sharing designs. Um, do you use Haku for charitable giving fundraising stuff as well? Yes. Okay. And you, 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 you have a separate CRM. Is that what you said? Or you use Haku's platform as your CRM? We use Haku's platform as CRM. Okay. Yeah. Now that's a solid company. They do a lot of great stuff. Mm -hmm. They do. Yeah. Um, what do you think? This is a kind of a, open-ended question, but when you think back on the past 20 years, or I guess it could be for Shamrock overall and it's a uh, longer history, but do you have defining moments or points in your history where you think the business fundamentally leapt forward when we did this, you know, as soon as we started doing such and such, and it could be marketing specific or not, but I just love to know how J and a flourished. Like I'm always interested in business and how, what those different thresholds or points are where the business became a different thing after X. Do you have any of those in your JNA history? Uh, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause I, you know, I think that's one thing that Jerry and I have become, we're so humble. I think um, what we do and what we've done, um, you know, it took a, this marketing team to finally say, will you talk about some of the charitable giving every once in a while that you do? <laughs> um, Cause we don't, we don't talk about ourselves. We don't promote ourselves and, and what we've done. Um, so it's crazy. Even Shamrock weekend each year, we both kind of look at it and we're like, how are these people here? Like, it's crazy. Like how, how, and it, we both fill up. It's like, I can't believe this. Look at all these people that are here for an 8k, you know, it's 9,000 people lined up for this race. And, um, I don't know. I don't know what the turning point was. And, you know, I know there was a huge running boom and I guess it, that we got a lot of runners there, but, um, Every year I'm amazed at the people that come out for our races and continually to support us and um, show up. It's, uh, I don't know. I, don't, I can't even answer that question what it was. I think there was a running boom and it, it, we were there at the right time. And then um, we give a consistent product and we um, give a great experience for people and they come back and it may not be year after year, but it, it is, they'll come back for the races. Yeah. Um, 
uh, just so you know, the fact that you don't have a specific answer, <clears throat> that doesn't mean anything. Most, most race directors, <clears throat> most race directors, especially for the big marquee events, don't really have an answer to that question. I always ask it because I love, I love the question. And then I always ask, what's your favorite failures from the past? And most will have a laundry list of failures. I did this, but it turned out better. I did this, but it changed the way I do things. I did this and I learned no longer to do such and such. But for the successes, it's pretty rare that I get a concise, specific answer. I, I was talking to Don Cardong from Bloomsday um, a couple of days ago. He, he didn't know the answer either. He said, you know, I, I don't know. There wasn't a specific thing. We just we found something that worked and we just kept trying to make it better and better and better every every year, every day, every minute. And that's that's it. That that ultimately was the answer. And I, I think I think that's probably true for for you guys as well. You found something by hook or crook that worked. And they just kept making it better. Yeah. And I think Don's competitive. I think we're competitive. I think uh, a lot of the successful race directors have a competitive spirit inside them. And every year we want to make it better. And I think that's what we do. It's um, the Monday after the race. It, it can be a good or bad thing. But it's after we clean up, we're sitting down riding with the whole staff, coming up with a two-hour lessons learned. and. It, you know, you may not see it or somebody may not see what we we feel like we can improve on, but there's always a list. Um, and we always refer to that list when we're going into planning for the next year. So how can we make it better? Um, we never say, oh, Al, that was so great. We, there's nothing we can do better. There's always yeah. something on that list. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that that I would say about you guys and that I think is true of a lot of other big successful race series races is you're you, like we said at the beginning you're you're so endemic to that community it's it's very personal to work with Jerry and Amy like people know where you live people know where your office is you if if something goes well you you get celebrated if something goes poorly you know you have to face all those same people because whether it's the military the municipality the different bases um whomever you, you because you're there and you're so part of Virginia Beach I, I would imagine, I'm going to speak on your behalf. I think you guys just take, you take it so seriously that it's all home. It's all part of home. And so you have to provide the absolute best thing you can. I think you're driven to do that because it's in your home, in your, in your backyard. And uh, you guys, you guys just take it, you take it very, very seriously and very personally. And I, I just, my outside looking in view is I think that has dramatically benefited the types of races that you put on because that's the approach you've you've taken. And then all the fun stuff and the and the party tent, those are all awesome gravy on top of kind of that core um, mantra that that I think you guys you guys have. I think that's the the secret to success. I kind of answered your question there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <Can> I <laughs> it was intended to be a compliment. I think it was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we agree on that one. Okay. Yeah. All right, last one. Um, anybody that you recommend we speak to now that you've been on the podcast and have a have a feel for kind of what this is about, what we're interested in in exploring? Sure. Um, I think there's some great ones out there. Um, a lot of mine, um, maybe are going probably going to be female squads. Is maybe a Kathy Dalby um, with mm -hmm. Pacers running. I know they have the New Jersey Marathon. They just announced it. It's going to be in October instead of April, so she'd be a great one to speak to. Um, I like the uh, 
that I love the Detroit folks, um, Barbara and Matt, they would yep. be a great one to speak to. Um, Angela Anderson of Marine Corps. Um, I know everybody, you know, wants to talk to Rick and he's always such a great, and I love Rick as well. Um, but I think she's also, you know, very passionate and is constantly reaching out to us. I think she's a good one um, to speak to. So there's some okay. names for you. Yeah, I know uh, almost all of those folks. So I'll reach out to them. Angela in particular, I worked with for a long time. So yeah, happy yeah, for that. It's a great yeah. person. Thanks for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I hope that you had uh, as much fun doing this as I did. I'm glad I got to see your face. I can't wait to see you in person sometime soon and be at one of your start lines or finish lines or chasing people with Santa pants in my in my hands. But I, I absolutely can't wait to see you. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on the podcast and telling us part of your story. Thank you for having me, Mike. This was fun. And um, we'll see you at the trail race in January. That's right. Uh, 30, uh, 45 days from now. I'll see you. Yeah. Yay. Can't wait. Thanks, Amy. 